0: Greetings and welcome to Batman Beer and Bart Podcast. We are back again. This week, neither one of my partners, Mark or James, could make it, but I had a really special guest. His name was Garrison Pollack. He was my intern when I was at another church a while back. I've known him since he was in seventh grade. He is a youth minister in Charleston, and because of the crazy hurricane, he had to leave the city. He talks a little bit about that. We talk a little bit about... um, Some of the pop culture going on right now, we talk about uh, an Oktoberfest beer that was really, really good, and then we conclude by getting on our soapbox about youth ministry. So hopefully next week my partners in crime will be back, but until then... Yeah, so you know you know who he is? Yeah, I know who the, the bad guy is. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, this is uh and b podcast. This is um, Batman, Beer, and Bart. This is Nick Van Horn. My partners in crime, uh, Mark and James, are not here because they're being little butts. But I do have Garrison here, Garrison Pollock. He was one of my interns from back in the day.
1: Which was a Wednesday.
0: Which was a Wednesday. Um, and now he has his own... Church in which he's a youth director of, and it's in Charleston, and because hell is coming in a handbag in the form of a hurricane, he had to leave. So, thank you, Garrison, for coming.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Or also just be me talking to myself, because I refuse to not have this um, podcast this week, because it's been way too long. So... I was telling Garrison, this is how we do things. We, we typically just talk about whatever's going on in pop culture. Um, then we'll talk about a beer of the week. Unfortunately, we don't have Mark, the carnosaur of beer, to tell us about all the little innuendos of the taste and the history of, like he normally does. Right, but, but I've,
1: I've been studying beer, so I'll help you with that. Yeah,
0: Garrison it went to college. So um, he should know automatically um, everything about beer. So... Um, Mark wanted to do a little segment on who Snoke is. Now, if you don't know who Snoke is, Snoke is the the bad guy that's behind the curtain in Star Wars 7, The Force Awakens. So I figured we would just try to do one every week, if not. Um, the main thought that people have is that it's Darth Plagueis. You know, you know who Darth Plagueis is? Yeah. Darth Plagueis is like, he was the guy who taught um, uh, the Emperor. Right. And the Emperor killed him and everything. He's kind of the guy who, quote-unquote, uh, created Anakin, if you will. Right. So people think it's that. I think it's one of the Golden Girls post-stroke.
1: Right, um, which makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really does look like it. Maybe, um, what's the oldest one um, that was in Golden Girls? The one that's still alive, I think. Betty White? Um, no, yeah, Betty White, but she's the only one that's still alive. No, I meant the, the old, old one. I can't remember. But every time I see it, it, it kind of reminds me of, of of like a Golden Girl post-stroke. Post that's stroke. close.
1: That's really close. You think
0: it's close? You think it's just going to come out like...
1: Right. No. No. I already know. It, it turns out that.
0: Estelle Getty is still alive, and they've been planning this for twenty years.
1: That's who it is. Yeah. It's Estelle, Estelle Getty. Getty.
0: Sophia. Sophia. That's who it is. Yeah. It's Sophia. Snoke is Sophia. Um, if you don't know, Snoke was played by Andy Serkis, mm-hmm. which is the guy who does all those you know things. So it might just be Gollum, and then they're just connecting the Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. World.
1: Right. Which is which is which is why they when when Lucas and all of them sat down to do the kind of storyline, do kind of long range planning for this. They really kind of threw an Easter egg back where people didn't think they would would hide it. And so, after all of my extensive research over this, I've found that Snoke is actually Boss Nass from Episode (laughs) 1. The most unlikely Gungan. He's already in power, but what does he want more? He wants more than just the Underwater Kingdom. He wants the full galaxy.
0: If you, you can't see Garrison right now, but he's looking at me like he's completely serious and it's freaking me out.
1: I mean, Boss Nass, so here's what what happens. You're the only
0: person, by the way, that still has Boss Nass in their vernacular.
1: Right. I'm just saying. But here's how it works. See, Boss Nass gets on the CrossFit phase, loses all the weight, then fits into his black cloak again.
0: They made a Steve Gutenberg movie, by the way. What is With up? the exact same. I think it's called, and, and I'm going to lose so much street cred naming Steve Gutenberg B-movies, but it's called Don't Tell Her It's Me. And he starts as a fat guy. And um, he loses all this weight and gets a fake Australian accent and dresses like a biker. And he gets the girl.
1: It's like Shao how, but not.
0: Yes, but but it's the Goot, man. The, <laughs> the Gutenberg.
1: The Goot. The Goot.
0: They need to bring him back to a Marvel movie. Yep. Okay, so I was telling you earlier is that one of the bigger things is this New York Comic-Con this weekend, and they revealed that the name of the last Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie mm-hmm. is Logan. Right. And that the poster was really cool. It's just... The hand of Logan with his claws out holding a, a tiny hand, like a child's hand right. whatever. And then today they revealed a picture of Professor X where he looks old. He's supposed to have, like, dementia. Um, he doesn't remember a lot of stuff, so his his powers don't work correctly. And and so it's supposed to be like kind of like their end story.
1: So does his powers require him to remember things though
0: does that no but i think that if you can't remember who you're manipulating with your mutant abilities that would be awkward <laughs> it would be like it would be very awkward it's like a targeting system that isn't on a gun you know what i mean <laughs> it's, so you're just shooting yeah, it's, shooting psychic blanks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but i saw a picture of him and frankly it scares the hell out of me because it's a picture of patrick stewart in 20 years if he's still alive
1: Uh, Number one, Patrick Stewart can't die. But number two, I mean, that could create a huge issue because you do raise a a solid point of manipulation, and if you can't remember anything, you can't remember, number one, why you're manipulating people, who you're supposed to be manipulating (laughs) There comes to be a lot of problems into
0: this. That sounds like almost, it almost sounds like a really good sitcom Mm -hmm. of he had the most powerful mind in the world that he can make people do whatever he wants. And now he has dementia. That's right.
1: And people are doing random things for no reason. And now he lives in it. in his daughter's attic and his, <laughs> see what hijinks Kevin James brings to the screen in <laughs> Professor X. <laughs> I would totally watch that, especially if it's Kevin
0: James. <laughs> He's like my guilty pleasure. I'm sorry. Like, it's sad when you're making the best Happy Madison movies.
1: Dude, up 2. <laughs> underrated.
0: Oh, I hadn't seen it yet, but I will tell you that... Um, Here Comes the Boom is amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry. There are moments where I get teary-eyed between him and Henry Winkler, man. Yes, <laughs> oh, God, yes.
1: It's
0: Here, so comes, the Here comes the Boom,
1: Grown Ups 1 and 2. You know who's underrated in all those movies? I have not movies? seen 2. Oh, Shaq <laughs> is exceptional in 2. Shaquille O'Neal, how could you not love anything he does on screen? What was the Genie movie he did? Shaquini? No, Kazam or <laughs> Kazam, something like that. Yeah. Is that what
0: it was? Yes. Oh my god. It's awesome. Oh my god. You know what's sad is as he was doing that, I believe he was still in the NBA. Mm. And now he won a
1: championship after
0: that. Yeah. So you would never see that in NBA players today. No. Because there's this mentality of trying to be like the, the badass. Although
1: LeBron James is coming out as Space, Space, James Space James Jam two, right? Yes. yes.
0: But excuse me. LeBron James is and I'm not a huge sports person, so I, maybe I, I, it makes sense for me to say it. But a, as a layman, he really does have that essence that some of the old school guys have. He does, you know. I know he pissed off Cleveland a few years ago, but he came back. But he really does. I mean, he doesn't have um, the narcissism that the Kobe Bryant generation had, right? But he's that good,
1: right? Which is which is interesting to watch because you're what LeBron as he came out of high school and then goes directly to NBA. I think. I could be wrong on that, and somebody's going to hate me for it. But so he goes directly to the NBA. I mean, he still treats the game like a kid. Mm-hmm. I, mean? I mean, he takes it very seriously. I mean, he is being paid millions of dollars to do this. But at a certain point, you look at players like him, um, Chris Paul, um, Stephen You're just Curry. biased
0: for Chris Paul.
1: I don't like Chris Paul. I think he's an idiot. But okay. um, Yeah, that's how biased I am with that. Yeah, okay, wow. Um, But Steph Curry and guys like that, and they're having fun with the game. Whereas, like, Kobe at some point was like... You're trying to pull a little hard away from maybe a questionable decision you made in your life. And so,
0: Well, I remember there was (laughs) – this is how much I know about NBA is I was watching an episode of Cribs like (laughs) like 15 years ago. I know. I know. I know. But I remember it was his episode and it was – they were filming it at the time that they were announcing Michael Jordan was coming back. Mm -hmm. And he was watching it, the announcement, on the episode of Cribs. Yeah. And it was like – I can't quote him, but it was like, oh, he's back who cares type mentality or I ain't afraid yeah. or whatever. It's like, you don't have to be afraid, but at least respect the greatest basketball player right. of all time is coming back. And he might not be as good as he used to be, but he's still he's better than 95% good. of everybody on there. And he's twice as old as everybody at that Correct. point, you know? So it, it, just that lack of respect, I guess. So, okay. Yeah. We can move on. I don't want to talk about sports too much. Um, they are coming out with an extended cut of uh, suicide squad. Did you see suicide? I didn't squad? see
1: suicide squad. Um, I heard, I heard enough Negative reviews, where I figured I would just wait till Redbox.
0: Okay, so Suicide Squad was better than they're they're making it out to be, right? But not as good as I wanted it to be. Okay, does that make that sense? That seems
1: fair. That seems like a very fair. Yeah,
0: yeah, but I I will give DC credit is they did something very bold very early on. Like this right. is their first movie out of the gate that is in a Superman Batman movie, and for them to go, I mean, this is more out of the box. Than a guardians of the galaxy. And that was a huge gamble when Marvel did guardians of the right. galaxy and Marvel had already had street cred for seven or eight movies. And right. this is DC's first one. So I got to give DC props for that. The, it, again, the issues that I have with it, it's not so much the plot or the directing even, or mm-hmm. the style even though I know people are like they need to choose a style in that movie, but it, it had the same problem that Batman v Superman had in, in the fact that the editing was just off. Well, and, and the, So the pace was just... It, it, it did, You weren't comfortable with it. Well, Does correct that me if I'm,
1: if I'm wrong, but they it, they did have a, a cut of it, and then they brought in another editing company. Yes. To ed- so that to me— was,
0: Well, what I heard was they brought in the company who edited the first or second trailer. Right. Because people liked that so much. Right. And they didn't like Ayers' version, and then they let people see both, and they voted on that. Right. So I guess the extended cut has Ayers' version— um, but it has all the uh, the scenes that you thought were going to be in it. I guess there's a lot more j- Joker. If you remember, there's a lot of scenes filmed with Harley Quinn before she became Harley Quinn. Right. And they're hardly in it. It's almost like in a quick flashback montage. Right. And this is going to be in it. So, you know, when I saw, I don't know if you saw the Batman Superman Ultimate Edition no. Okay, the, did you see the first, the original? Okay, so you're no. just out of it. So when it, I yeah. saw the Ultimate Edition, it made a lot more sense. I think there were some violent parts that were unnecessary for a Superman-Batman movie, right. but the flow was better, and it, it almost made you angry that they should have just put that one out. Let it be. So, yeah. so it's, almost a, it's almost a double-edged sword with... With them, because if the extended edition isn't that much better, you're like, oh, well, it's extended edition. I, I can see what they did, and that's the best they could do for now. Right. But if it is that much better, then you do get kind of aggravated saying, you know, DC doesn't have their shit together. Right. Um, because they're not trusting their directors, because they keep making oh, go back and editing, stuff like that. Right. Now, I will say that they are still trying to find their groove. Mm-hmm. People need to for, need uh, not to forget the early Marvel even though Iron Man was the first one that came out and it's probably hands down the most perfect Marvel movie made after that, it was a little staggered. Yeah. Incredible Hulk was not that great. Yeah. Um, Iron Man two, people didn't like it. it. I, I mean, it's, 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 it's Robert Downey is Tony Stark, and I'll put him in any movie. Right. But it was drastically you know, less quality than the first one. Right. Um, and it felt rushed. And I remember people complaining that it was just a commercial for what's to come, which right. is what Marvel is now anyway. You can kind of get over that. The Captain America movie, it was okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, compared to Winter Soldier and Civil War, right. subpar. But it was a decent movie. Right. Um, but there was nothing to compare it to. There was no standard at that time. You right. know, The standards were half- the superhero movies that were coming out were just crap. So if it w- didn't suck, you're like, Oh, I enjoyed no. it. So, but now there's an expectation, you know, seven, eight years later. And then I think they finally found their groove with Thor. One was an excellent movie. And of course, Avengers was good. And then, and then I, and it's been pretty stellar since, but I mean, they kind of had somewhat of a Rocky start too, cause they're trying to figure out their stuff. And I'm hoping DC figures that out as well. So that is coming out. I think the movie comes out in December. So look okay. for it probably to download at the end of November, I think. Um, something like that. Um, another thing that happened this week is that we got the first episode of Westworld. Now, yeah. I don't know if anybody gets HBO. Um, if you don't, then you don't know good television because HBO doesn't come out with bad stuff. I mean, this year between, um, the game of Thrones between the night of, I don't know if you saw that. Mm-hmm. I talked about it a couple weeks ago yep. and, uh, vice <laughs> principals, which is just fantastic. Vice um, principals
1: and I know you're not a sports fan, but ballers is really good. Yeah.
0: Ballers with, is really good. Yeah. 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 And Johnson. Um, Even any given Wednesday That sports mm-hmm. show I'll watch periodically And I, I'm yep. not a huge sports person I mean they have good quality stuff So when they announced Westworld Now if you don't know anything About Westworld It was I believe it was either A book or short story That Michael Crichton wrote Back in the day And then he wrote The movie treatment And even directed it As far as I know You can probably double check On me for that IMDB at it starred Yul Brynner, which I believe was a Russian actor. Um, Yul Brynner was like one of those badass guys, and like um, mm-hmm. he was like a Steve McQueen badass, like in that era of you know like just yep. guyness. He was in the original Magnificent Seven, um, mm-hmm. so he kind of played the bad guy. And in the story, it was this fantasy western world. And the people that worked there were all robots and androids, and people could you know do whatever they want, and you know they could be good guys or bad guys, and they paid for it. It was kind of like a Jurassic Park, and then it kind of went awry. Okay. And then they had the uh, um, the evil cowboy Yul Brenner who was chasing the main guy at, at the end of the movie. And I remember that movie; it was it was so I don't want to say dark, but there was so much quietness that it really did put an impression on me, and I really loved that movie. And, and I and you can't tell me that. The Jurassic Park, at least one in four, didn't resonate from that idea. And, and Jurassic Park was a Michael Crichton book, right. so, so it, it kind of makes sense. So when they announced Westworld, and the guys who do it are uh, that are producing it are J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. um, and Jonathan Nolan. Now, if you don't know Jonathan Nolan, the name sounds is somewhat familiar. He's the brother of Chris Nolan, right? And Jonathan Nolan is the one who writes the movies with his brother, along with David Goyer. So Jonathan Nolan gets cred for the Dark Knight trilogy mm-hmm. and all the Chris Nolan movies. They work together. So uh, John was Nolan—he in
1: was—he's—he's
0: he's co-wrote, or at least wrote all but one, I think. Okay. And I want to say it's Insomnia. You can you can check okay. that out. You know, but he's done. I mean, he worked on Memento. He did. Uh, uh, Interstellar, he, I mean, they're a good team together. They are. Um, so when they announced Abrams and Nolan together, I mean, that's you just can't go wrong with that. Um, and then the idea of Westworld, they're saying that this might be the thing that picks up um, the steam after Game of Thrones goes away in a couple years. Um, the cast is amazing. Um, I mean, you have uh. Uh, your favorite, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Anything Anthony Hopkins is in is, is just amazing. Um, you have um, my man, James Marsden. James Marsden. Who is one of the most underrated guys because he's the guy who never gets the girl. Correct. He's- even though he's super awesome, good looking, and he's really cool. I remember 2006, he was in X-Men 3 and Superman Returns. And in mm-hmm. both those, he didn't get the girl. And it drove me nuts. But I lo- James Marsden, man, I mean, he's just one of those guys that
1: he's in a lot of stuff um he's great well and so also talking about not getting the girl he's also been in not one but two nicholas sparks movies where he ends up not with the girl oh that's right yes oh, the notebook man, james and Marsden. man that one where he gives the heart away which one um oh
0: yeah i can't i know what you're talking about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. fact that i don't know is giving best me of me regret. so yeah so you have best of me yeah yeah, yeah yeah okay so anthony hopkins is in it uh you got james Marsden. you got evan rachel wood mm-hmm. um she's a character in real life. Like she, I, uh, I think she, did she date Marilyn Manson or something like that? Yes. I can't, okay. Yes. Yeah. So, but she's beautiful girl. She's um, done a lot of really, really good stuff. Uh, just a fantastic actor. I really like her. She's done a lot of offbeat stuff, things like that. Um, she's one of the main characters in it. Ed Harris who we haven't seen in forever. we have not seen Ed Harris. such a badass. Yeah. I mean, he was in... Um, the Rock. The Rock. I mean, yes. that's what Which I was looking Which is the for. ultimate
1: badass it's movie. It's the ultimate He's the ultimate movie. bad guy yes. in that.
0: Yes. And also another man movie, Milk mm-hmm. Money. <laughs> Which is an awesome movie. But Ed Harris, man. He was the, in The Abyss, James right. Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, God, who doesn't love Ed Harris? I mean, uh, he's a badass. And he's like the main bad guy in yes. it. Um, And I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but he's in it. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, who um, he played Felix in the in the first two uh, James Bond movies Uh uh, with um, what's his name? Um, The badass James Bond.
1: Daniel yeah, um, he played it in Casino Royale. He and was in
0: Casino Royale in the second one. Yeah, yeah, small part. He He's good. I like him. He's been in a lot of stuff. He's, he was in the Hunger Games movies. Yes. He played the, kind of the nerdy engineer. Great, yes. great actor. I mean, so he kind of plays the protege of Anthony Hopkins. Um you have Fandi Newton, who she was, I believe, in the second Mission Impossible movie, mm-hmm. like the, the the good looking one in that. She's been a lot of other stuff. She was in a Tyler Perry movie. I remember I see, I saw. Well, She's she good.
1: her character was in a Tyler Perry movie, but it was actually played by Tyler Perry. Yes,
0: so. <laughs> that's true. Tyler Perry played her <laughs> in the movie. So, and then there's of course a ton of actors that you don't know the names of, but you know you'd recognize the the characters. The face, but one like
1: thing that. HBO does a great job of is pulling. Mm-hmm. Good quality actors who are not acting anywhere else at this point. They're doing small roles. Yeah. They're doing, and they give them enough of a concrete role to where you're going, I could see them doing something else. I would like to see them further. And HBO does a tremendous job of that.
0: They're the they they do a really good job of picking those actors that you see a lot of stuff in, Mm -hmm. but you don't know you love them right until you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that one, and then they get kind Mm -hmm. of a following a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. But also, I mean, these older guys, I mean, Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins. I mean, I would watch a movie with just those two guys in it. You know, the new grumpy old men. Yes. (laughs) And they kill everybody. But um, yeah, it it was good. It was a solid episode. A lot of questions. I think if you know nothing about Westworld at the very end, you're like, um, I'm going to have to stick with it a little while because it's going to be a slow to burn.
1: So that's where I came from is I I didn't know all this background before we talked about it. And um, I remember walking away from it going, I don't know about this, but I'm interested enough to keep watching because I don't I don't know the background story and I don't know. Where things are going to go, but I want to find out, which is the mark of a great show. Sure. Well, it's. I can see it being a lot like
0: a Game of Thrones in the sense that. It took a while to get into it. You knew there was something in it, right. but there was something special about it, but it really did take a while. And by the time you're in fourth, fifth, sixth season, you have all that background, you're just rolling. Right. So I think that HBO knows what they're doing. I think mm-hmm. that uh, it's it's not going to get canceled or canned. They have way too much invested in it. Correct. I think we're going to guarantee at least three seasons, and I think by then things will be rolling. Right. Um, but I think there, there are so many... So much potential for different layers of storyline mm-hmm. that they threw in this right. that you just don't even know. It's, it's there's nothing tangible yet. Correct, um, but it was good. I thought it was solid. The acting was good. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't even introduced a lot of the characters yet. Um, right. I'm trying to think what was the name of the actor that's in that in the uh, that's coming on later on. Um, oh, you know who was in it? The other Hemsworth brother. Yes. Luke Hemsworth. He plays like the uh, like the badass security guy. Yep. Um, he, I, I want to say he's older. He looks a little older than, than his brothers, but good for him. I mean, he, he did a great job. I liked him a lot in it. Um, he was good. Um, so we'll move on from that. Um, I'm trying to think what else happened this week. Um, a lot of the TV shows started up this week. I don't mm-hmm. know what you watch. Um, I know all the CW stuff is starting up. I know... Flash and Arrow started this week, and I think the other two start next week. And I'm actually super excited about having a superhero show on every week during the week. And what I do is um, Friday's my day off, so I'll probably binge those shows on that day. The thing is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't watch these shows, it's really not a binge show because they all four shows. And even when they only had two they happened chronologically together. Well, so, what are the
1: other two? So there's um, Flash, Air, Green Arrow,
0: Supergirl, because Supergirl. that's moving from C okay. to the CW from yes, yes. CBS, and then Legends of Tomorrow. I don't know what that is. Okay, Legends of Tomorrow was a spinoff of Arrow. Okay, and it stars um, at the Atom. Okay, played by Superman himself, Brandon Routh. Yes, who he's fantastic in it is Ray Palmer.
1: Okay, um, it's
0: a team. So you got. Um, uh, you have White Canary, which was the original Black Canary, if you remember watching Arrow. Yes. Um, uh, you have um, uh, Firestorm. Okay. Which is two characters. Uh, Doing Firestorm. But Professor Stein, who's the older guy, part of that, Mm -hmm. is played by Victor Garber. You'd know him from Alias. Um, He's been around forever. I mean, he did Godspell, the movie, back in the day. I mean, he's such an awesome actor. Um, But you have Rip Hunter. And you probably, you're not at the level of nerdiness that I am, but Rip Hunter is like a D-list DC character. He's kind of like the time-traveling Doctor Who. Right. And he he gets all these guys together and takes them around. And they're looking for... um, uh oh! I can't remember the bad guy. People who are listening to this are gonna go, "Oh my god! I can't believe he doesn't know this stuff." Um, but I um, so uh, you have all these different like B and C list characters, and and they interwove into the Flash and and Arrow. They're right. all part of that Arrowverse now. Supergirl, when she was on CBS, was not part of that universe. Even though they had a special episode where they had Flash come in. They got special permission to do it. Okay. Um. So they're going to do some kind of crisis thing where they bring her into that, and Superman is going to be in the first two episodes. So they're okay. going to have their own version of Superman. Uh, so that world is getting bigger. Yeah. So um.
1: So they're going to try and do what Marvel has done. They're, gonna, they're but they're going
0: to do it on television, and, and people are actually praising that stuff more than the movies right now, right? Because it's got a lot of heart. Right. Uh, got a lot of emotion. <laughs> Um, it's it's a really really good show. The second season's coming. The first season was only a half a season. The second season's coming, and you're getting the Justice Society, which is the World okay. War II original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, I mean, they are just expanding the hell out of the show. And so you're going to get a superhero movie that connects. Right. In December, they're doing a week long crossover between all four.
1: Oh, that's cool. Which
0: is going to be really cool. And then I actually am kind of excited for this. For any of you old school Buffy fans, they're doing a Flash Supergirl crossover, and it's a musical.
1: What because is, uh, flash
0: and supergirl were both in glee right and they're both you know both singers uh and matter of fact grant Gustin, who was in the flash uh he sang in one episode It just it was just fantastic so i'm looking forward to that um, a lot of other good shows coming on it's i just can't keep up right now um this week started luke cage luke as cage. well on netflix yep um which is the third series um uh, of the marvel on netflix the fourth season if you count daredevil as being two mm-hmm. uh it has uh mike colter as luke cage mm-hmm. in harlem it takes place right after jessica jones because he's in that and they kind right. of they kind of mention that story um it's got rosario dawson in it like oh she wasn't like she was in the first two series mm-hmm. so she's kind of like the agent colson of that universe a little right. bit um, they mention the Avengers a lot more in in Luke Cage, okay. Uh, so it connects more with it. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know if they're ever going to connect him, but It's solid. It's good. I'm not totally done with it. Right. Um. I uh. The acting and and the casting again. Marvel knows how to cast stuff. It's mm-hmm. good. Good stuff. Um. I like. I think still as as much as Daredevil has a place in my heart. I think Jessica Jones is my favorite out of all of them so far.
1: I mean, I I, I like I like Daredevil a lot. And I I know that other people like Jessica Jones, and I know people are excited about Luke Cage. But I do have a special place in my heart for that story. Um, And one of my favorite parts about that was um, I think Netflix did a great job of hiding. I mean, they could have done right in and given him the, the costume and everything, but they hid that for a long time, which was a real smart move because it kept you just on the edge of your seat, biting at more and more and more.
0: Yeah, it's, it, you know, in it, the first season, of course, you have him in his black outfit, which is reminiscent to the Frank Miller run that, that he did. And I loved how he doesn't even get the suit right to the end. And you're like, yeah, it's cool. But he kind of looked more badass in just the black. Right. Um, it reminds me, what's really funny is, and this is going way back, is in the 80s and 90s, they did um, TV movies of... Um, the incredible Hulk. Right. Okay. Um, and it was the same actors that did it in the, in the seventies mm-hmm. TV show. And they did a movie with daredevil in it. Oh. And he's kind of wearing that black outfit, but it's because it's the eighties and nineties and that's all they could afford. And right. I think it was still at the phase where they were too afraid to be true to the character. So it it's kind of reminiscent of that, but I will say that daredevil looks more beefed up in the black.
1: He does. He, he looks much more beefed up. Um, And he looks more, I mean, Daredevil is unpolished and he's, he's this lawyer who runs this kind of janked up law firm. And then he puts on this nice clean cut red suit that hugs all his muscles quite nicely. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not really what I want. (laughs) It's not what you wanted a man. Yeah. That's not really what I want. You
0: want skin tight outfit. Not. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I I want, I want to tear at the knees and like, yeah.
0: Well, did you see, you saw season two, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a little bit of that in there, right. you know, and it's good. There's an evolution of his costume a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, I mean, and the episode or season two is almost like a, okay, there's a way bigger world here. Right. You know, like they have the hand in it a little bit. They have Electra in it a little bit, which was okay. But then they had John thaw right. as the freaking Punisher. Which was awesome. Unreal. Now, if you don't know John Barenthal, then you have not watched Walking Dead Season 1 and 2. Right. He was like the bad guy in it. The guy who went crazy. Mm-hmm. You know? I, what was the line he always did? You can't protect them all, Rick! Yep, that's yeah, it. And, and you just kind of <laughs> want him to do that. Uh, he's the Punisher. But they did start filming the Punisher spinoff this week as well. Yes. And John Barenthal is in that. We're
1: very excited about it.
0: He's going to be... He was When they casted him, it's like, God, Marvel can't freaking do wrong. No. So... That is, there's probably way more news, but I mean, that's probably as nerdy as we want to get with all that pop culture. Um, honestly, there there was a couple of presidential debates I don't want to get into. I really don't because it's just, I just wish it was all over.
1: Yep, I'm ready for um, it to be done.
0: I'm just, yeah. Um, and we don't, you and I don't even agree on everything politically, but I think the one thing we agree on is that it needs to be done. Yep. So, but we do, I think one thing that is important that the news is not focusing on as much is the uh, the second hurricane coming into America behind the one running for president, which yes. is Hurricane Matthew. Matthew. Matteo. So, Matteo. Yeah. So, um, and which is why I'm here, actually. <laughs> which is, is why, great. yeah, Garrison is here because he is a youth minister in Charleston, and they evacuated the city. So as soon as I found out that they were uh, the hurricane was coming, I didn't I didn't contact him to say hey. Um, are you safe? It was more or less like, hey, I need somebody to be in my podcast. Please come. And he said, sure. So, But he's here. A lot of people left. Did a lot of people from your church leave?
1: So what's happening now is um, there was a kind of optional evacuation that started, I guess, Tuesday night. Yeah, Tuesday night. Um, and then Wednesday at 3 o'clock, they reversed Interstate 26. And so there was no lane coming into Charleston. Wow. Both lanes were leaving. And they wouldn't let you come in. Uh-huh. So now today what the word is is that now that was an option and now police are going through the streets telling people to leave. I mean it's uh-huh. they are really kind of batting down. There's speculation and you hear stuff like this all the time, so they take this with a grain of salt, but I mean there's speculation saying this could be the storm that is most like Hugo. Um Good. And people back in the eighties. I mean yeah, that that is something you hear all the time. And so it's it'll be interesting to see and it'll be interesting to see what happens and see um I have friends who said, well, are you going to stay there and hold on to your stuff? And the route of it is at 130 mile per hour wind, it doesn't matter what I hold on to. And so yeah. and there's no point in staying. So really kind of, we're not worried about it at this point. We just see what happens and then go go deal with whatever happens after that. And
0: did you talk to a lot of your families and everything? Were yeah. a lot of them leaving and yeah. going to visit almost all of my families left.
1: Good. Good. And Good. so we'll see.
0: Yeah.
1: And so, I mean, it, Wow. It it is what
0: it is. I think the scary thing is about this is when hurricanes happen, and they happen every year, and it seems that—I mean, we can get in the debate of why, but it seems they are getting worse. Right. Um, And they're getting more regularly worse. Um, But with the news— they make everything way bigger. And so when they say a hurricane is coming by the time it actually comes, it's not as bad. Correct. Yes. Of course it does a lot of devastation. The scary thing with this one is it really hasn't died down. Well, like in the last day, we're like, uh, I I keep waiting for them to say, okay, it's, it's gone down a little bit.
1: Well, it actually ramped up today. Um, and part of the issue is people went, Oh good. It's, it's jotted off the coast. Actually, that's way worse because,
0: because then it can build back up It's sitting
1: on a gas. It's it's like putting a car with a a gas line directly into it. I mean, it can't run out at that
0: point. Exactly. So, um, if you were in there, I, I, I pray that you do get out. Um, material objects are not as important as one's life. Um, my, all my in-laws live on Hilton head. Mm -hmm. Hilton head is about an hour, hour and a half North of Charleston. And it's on an Island on the, on the coast. Um, they they didn't want to leave. <laughs> um, fortunately, I think my in-laws are actually going to my uh, wife's uncle's house, which is only about five six miles inland. Right. I'm not terribly comfortable with that, but I'm much more comfortable than them being on the island. Right. You know. Right. So I know I, I've my wife is a lot a little nervous about it. And, um, and I've talked to my oldest sister-in-law and I know she was a little worried about it too. Um, my father-in-law, the captain, yes. he can do a lot of amazing things. He, he's exceptional. He's very exceptional, but he can't control the weather. He cannot. Because if he did, like I told my sister-in-law, if he can control the storms, I would change my membership to the church of Randy. Yeah. So Randy, if you're listening, I hope you guys are good. I hope you guys are safe. Um, please be and keep us posted. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to grab some beer. We're going to talk about a little bit. And then as we drink, we're going to talk a little bit about church stuff. I don't want to get as theological as Mark and I did last week, but we're probably going to talk about more of the, the stress points kind of behind the veil, if you will, a little bit of the church, not that it's all bad, but not that it's all good. Um, and, and the reality of that and, and some of the struggles that a lot of us have. Okay, we're back. We got some beer. It's good. The beers. But I don't have Mark to tell me the whole history of everything. Mark would sit here and tell you about the hops and the, and the berries and the oak. I mean, he would in a very, very intelligent way. And, and I, I drink it and it tastes like beer.
1: Yeah, well, um, I mean, I can give you a little bit on this. Oh, yeah,
0: because you have a computer right in front of you.
1: Well, it's actually not that. Um, I'm going to go a little bit deeper because, I mean, we do. So, this is the Bells Oktoberfest. Um, it's from Bells Brewery out of Michigan. But one of the big things that they put, that um, they use to give it kind of that really, really good, really um, aromatic flavor that you get is they use elderberries. Okay. And um, elderberries come from indoor. And so, when they're grown, the Ewoks harvest them. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Sorry. I wish I wouldn't. I wish I wouldn't have kept kept a beat. And people going, Ewoks? What? <laughs> I couldn't do it.
0: Well, the thing is, Oktoberfest uh, that we know is that back in the day, in in, in the Germanic um, tradition, they didn't brew beer in the summer. It was too right. hot. So around That's March or April is when they stopped brewing beer. So they would have to. Uh, move it to higher altitudes mm-hmm. or they would have to find some way to keep it cool. Right. So when they did that, the, that was where you got the specific um, flavors of the Oktoberfest because it would be all the ones that fermented right. that had been brewed For longer before. than traditionally. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it would be the beer that you would drink before they started brewing again. Right. So, um, yeah. So it's a good Oktoberfest beer. Right. Last week we, uh, we talked about a Belgian beer and I always say Belgian beer... Tastes like you're drinking winter,
1: right?
0: Or it smells like a craft store, you know, which is right. really good. And this is just a good, it's it's a decent Oktoberfest. And, and and it's people, light. when I say Oktoberfest, it doesn't have pumpkin spice in it. That's not what it means. But no. you know, it's got a good aroma to it. Um, my nose is a little stuffed right now, but it's not a strong aroma. It just has a very it's unique, pleasant. yeah. It's a light beer. Right. It's got a little bit of bite to it, but not too much. It's a good October
1: what, it, what it is, beer. Is the best way to describe it for me is it is a compliment to whatever it is. I mean, it's not going to be the standalone eye of the party, but it is going to support whatever you're doing, whether it's eating or sitting around talking or what have you. It is going to, it's not going to take over the evening. It'll just sit with you the whole
0: time. Yeah. And, and you were saying the beer advocate gives it a three and a half out of five stars, which is probably good. It's a above average beer. Right. It's something that you would enjoy drinking. It's something that you mm-hmm. would rather have than a natty light, except for you. Maybe I
1: would rather have anything with light or ice in front of it or
0: natty in it. Yes. That's um, right. you know, it's, it, it is, it's, it's, a good, it's not too rich. So you could find yourself at a party drinking this throughout the night, mm-hmm. um, so uh, it's good it's a solid beer I, I would have it again
1: i would drink it again yeah yep. it,
0: it was good and for i got it a uh, 32 ounce growler for six bucks for this yep. on tap you can't go wrong it's are, good. You gonna give
1: them a sh- are you gonna give them a shout out
0: oh uh, who where'd you get it oh i got it stella brew on hawthorne and winston-salem those there guys are it. the best man i mean they'll they'll tell you everything you, you, you they have is good <laughs> but they'll be honest about what they like more and everything i mean they, right. they, they know their stuff and i mean they're they, I remember going in the first few times you know, not really knowing a lot, and right. they kind of walk you through a little bit. It, it was good. There you have you it, know?
1: Stella Brew and Hawthorne.
0: Yeah, so we got a couple of those places, but I'm lucky enough to have them like five houses down. So um, it's good. I'm sure most of you in your cities or towns have a place where you can get beer growlers, and it's, it's, it's a good price, um, and it's beer on tap. You can only have it for a couple of days, but my beer never lasts that long when I buy it. That's right. So it's good. Yeah. Um,
1: all right, so we have beer now. It's good. Um, but for for everybody who's listening at home, we've had beer. I mean, let's let's not fool you here. But this is this is a good beer. This is exceptional.
0: Yeah, I like it. It's good, and it's October, so you almost feel like you have to drink Oktoberfest mm-hmm. because you can only get it so many times of the year. So, right. um, when the Santa Claus beer comes out, I will have that, and it will taste like peppermint and love.
1: Yep, and regret.
0: <laughs> that's that's New Year's Day. That's right. Flavor. Um, okay, so we have beer now. Um, I did a previous podcast for Youth Ministry Network, and Garrison and I did an episode there, and it was a lot more serious, and we're probably a little serious here. We need to, like, loosen up a little bit. Um, but Garrison and I have known each other for years. Um, I knew him when he was the 35-year-old 7th grader.
1: I've been Um, doing butt disease, sorry. yeah, Yeah, yeah,
0: Um, you do. And, uh, I knew him since he was in middle school, and he, uh, became my intern, uh, when I was in a church for a few years. And now he's a youth minister, uh, himself and he's completed his first year, year and a quarter months, of yeah. full-time ministry. I say full-time cause he's had his hand in youth ministry since he was a youth. Uh, and he's way further than just about anybody his age. He, he gets it. Um, we don't agree on everything and that's okay. Um, but a lot of things we do and we have really good conversation about it. I don't know anybody who is genuinely as passionate about youth ministry, um, and in a lot of ways, I look up to to that. Um, he's much further along than I was at this age. Um, but youth ministry, like all forms of ministry, is very, very difficult.
1: It is hard. It's uh, it is a it is a it is a career, or I mean, I, I say that, but it's really a calling. Because if you're if you're not called to do it, then you're going to be out in eighteen months or whatever the average is. Sure. Um, but it is long hours, bizarre hours. Not just for you, but for your family and friends um, who did not realize they were signing up for it. Yeah. But at the same time, it is truly one of the greatest things that I have the blessing to, to do every day. And so,
0: and I would say, and you could probably you'd probably agree that nobody knows what youth ministry is unless they actually go into it. Right. And I'm not like pointing fingers at everybody who's not a youth minister. I mean, like people who are aspiring to be a youth minister, mm-hmm. people who are studying or feel called, and they're and they're kind of in that discerning process. Right. It is. N- there's nothing. That um, that we could say or do to fully prepare you for what it is. Correct. Um, everybody has preconceived notions about what youth ministry is, mm-hmm. and th- again, that makes not only the process of becoming a youth minister difficult, or a seasoned youth minister, right? But it becomes difficult because. However many people you have at your church, that's how many people—that's how many different job descriptions you have. Correct. everybody has that preconceived notion. Now, everybody, of course, has preconceived notions about other jobs, whether it's a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, a college professor or whatnot. But there's—for some reason with youth ministry, you don't get the authority and and respect— as they would. There's a lot of questioning. there's a lot of. Well, you know, I have kids, so I know. Right. And 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 I would say that parents, they do have an edge, because they do have kids. The thing, and I've had my hat, uh, I've had my hands in in the parenthood realm, mm-hmm. and I've had my hands in the youth ministry realm, and then them simultaneous, is that, um, as a parent, you look at youth and youth ministry through the lens of your child. Right. And you don't look at it objectively, and you cannot look at it from a balcony perspective i'm not saying that there are a few people that can that i've ran into but most people look at the successes and failures of their own youth ministry at their church based on the experience of their particular children right and our job and our responsibility is to create a ministry that reaches as many as possible
1: well and another thing that parents and and they do this unintentionally and because it's the world they live in, we we view things through the lenses that we are given, and so um, like I I'm not an engineer, so I typically don't look at things through an engineering lens, and that vice versa. But so parents oftentimes look at youth ministry from a parental standpoint, sure. Which we are not parents. <clears throat> we are. I mean, you may be a parent alongside of a youth minister, but you are. Youth ministry is. It's own entity. It is not... I'm not just a second um, parent to these kids. Or
0: a person who teaches the things you don't want to as a parent. Right. Which a lot of times youth ministers fall into that trap. Whether it's... You know, the drug talk or the sex, sex ed talk, talk or, you know. Right. Um, and, and, and that's not really what we're there for. I, I would say more that we're there to be advocates for the parents who are invested to give them a different perspective, a pastoral perspective as right. well.
1: I I, I like um, now whatever your title is, whatever people um, people say, are you a youth minister, or director of youth ministries, youth pastor, that have you. I really like the language of... Um, minister to youth and families because we really are walking that journey, not just with the child, but with the family, with everybody who loves and supports those people. We walk that journey and are advocates for the for our youth and things like that. But we're also um try and be objective voices of reason, um, spiritual mentors, shepherds, what have you. And so we we get to wear many, many different hats but oftentimes those hats are not quite what people think they are going to be mm-hmm. and they hats. can change pirate hats. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a headband on right now. Yeah, he
0: does. He looks a little bit like uh Brett Michaels.
1: What's
0: up? Yeah. No, I, no, I agree is, is that, um, everything you just said, I don't know what you just said. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, all, all I'm asking for is, and, and I don't. I, I mean, I've been in it long enough where I don't get it nearly as much. And maybe it's because it's the per- particular church I'm at too. I have never had to deal with it at this church as I have other churches. Um, it's just the sense of humility, and I'm not called for this. I'm a parent. I've been called to be a parent. Right. Um, help me, so you know we can help each other. And, and, and right. you, you have a different perspective than I than I would. Right. And I. I I would assume part of the reason why I don't have to deal with that lack of humility is because I'm a parent now, so they automatically assume I'm part of that camp. Right. But I have to wear two hats at the same time. Right? Like most ministers have to wear more than one hat at, at the same time. Right. They have to wear a pastoral hat and, and and a almost a human being hat. Right? You know, a husband hat, a wife hat. Um, it's so it, that I I think that's all we ask for is this sense of I don't understand where you're coming from, but you have been trained, you have a degree. You have experience in this. There has to be, you know, um, it's, of course, we live in a society where paper matters more than education a little bit. So, you know, I remember my first job I got, I had degrees in both youth ministry and Christian education, Mm -hmm. and they hired me because of that. But then they treated me like I didn't know shit. Right.
1: (laughs) You know, I, I mean, really. Well, the number of times that I've had people go, you'll understand when you're older. Yes. No, 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 no. You'll understand when you open your eyes. Yeah. I I get that, and I'm here, and I'm walking, and I'm learning, I'm ready to learn. Yeah, but as a as the professional, this is what I do. This is what I eat, sleep, and breathe.
0: Yeah, I had a friend of mine who's a pastor, um, and you you know him as well. Is whenever he gets, we've gotten frustrated over a couple things, and he would say, "Do these people not understand? This is what we think about twenty four seven. Like we think about the future of the church all the time." But on the other hand, we need to remind ourselves, and I have to all the time, that they don't. Right. Like I think sometimes they do. And, and so that actually helps my anxiety about stuff. You know, right. like I'm like, oh, i got to get this stuff done. I don't want anybody to be upset. And most of the time they're probably not even thinking about it until it happens. You know? right. But I'm thinking about it all week. But that's one thing is they need to understand is we have these conversations. We've, you know, we've done the readings. Um, we've had the experience. We can look at a balcony perspective and say this is where it needs to go. And it could be reluctant. That's fine. Right. Um, but, but there has to be some kind of, of backing in. If they're willing to hire you, right. there has to be the sense that we hired you for a particular reason, so we'll follow that. right? Now, I think part of the uphill climb for that is the fact that most youth ministers are complete morons.
1: No, they're awful.
0: I mean, they, they are. And, and you and I have talked, and I know you go to the National Youth Worker Convention. I don't, because I literally don't find anybody I can hang out with. Right. Um, Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I have my own issues with it, too, and, and, and the worship and, and, and how youth ministry refuses to evolve in, in a lot of camps. But um, I mean, it is hard, because we do have a lot of people who do give our profession a lack of you know, any kind of an interpretation of it being a professional.
1: Well, a lot of people go so. into it um, with this mindset of they had a wonderful youth minister. They had a great connection. They sure. want to have, they want to do that for kids, which is an admirable thing.
0: Yeah, but does anybody go, man, I want to go to medical school because I had a great time with my doctor. I want to be a dentist because, man, I looked forward to being in the dentist chair. Not at all. It, but that's the argument people use, though, Correct. is – is, you know, is I had a good experience, so I'm going to continue that experience. The problem with that argument is then you're really going into it for yourself because you want to continue that experience. Right.
1: Well, and a lot of times, too, people, what people don't see is, and I had no idea until really I got into professional youth ministry, um, is that a lot of people think youth ministry is game nights and retreats. Sure. And it's long hours, it's paperwork, it's all these different things that are not fun at all. It's the bane of my existence is, um, doing my credit card receipts. Yeah, I hate, I that. hate doing it. It's awful, receipts. but so. I mean, it's the stuff that we do behind the scenes so that other people can have that youth ministry experience. Sure. And if you're not willing to do that, or if you're not expecting to do that, it can be it can really kick you in the ass.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, but I mean, all in all, I mean, youth ministry it, it is a wonderful thing. Um. Youth ministry is kind of at a crossroads right now, I think, mm-hmm. and we've talked about that a little bit. A lot of it has to do with the fact that you're going to have the the uh, minimal salary change mm-hmm. in a couple months, where they can't they have to pay you time and a half if you don't make forty seven thousand right. dollars a year, which most youth ministers don't. Right. Um, my I, I've I've talked a lot with this with uh, some people um, who I have a great deal for. Uh, respect for in the field of youth ministry that's been doing it for a long time some of them are even ordained clergy and they've been doing youth ministry for a long time and um, and their argument is well good it weeds out the people who shouldn't be in it and I get that right the problem being is what good 20 something is gonna get a job right making forty seven thousand dollars a year correct you know most churches can't afford that now I will say the ethic of it is the fact that churches, financially have been cutting corners for years. Right. I mean, you know and I know that when you go to National Youth Worker Conventions, there's – I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a forum where they read want ads, and we literally just laugh at them yes. because the expectations that they have for the little amount of money that they offer and or they're part-time. And we laugh at them, but it's a sad thing because in a lot of ways, churches have taken advantage of young, able people to do so. Correct. And that's the big reason why youth ministers only last for 18 months is because right. they're set up to fail.
1: They're set up to fail. And, I mean, the issues is – and what happens a lot of churches have realized this. If you go look at job postings um, right now, a ton of the youth ministry job postings have been pulled because churches are realizing we can't operate the same way. We're killing these kids coming out of college. And I had a great opportunity to do internships and things like that, which gave me a leg up. But if you are, I mean, say you're, you go to a college in a small town and things like that. Um, you don't have those opportunities. And so you walk out and, how What are you to do at that point? And so churches have to rethink what they're going to do. Well,
0: I think churches need to pull back further from just youth ministry and look at, look and figure out what do they want to really focus on financially. My argument has always been if you have a 1,500-member church and you don't have a youth minister, you're you're on your road to death. Right. You have to have one. Correct. But the problem is a lot of churches will take other priorities first, such as, oh, we need an associate minister of this, or we need an associate minister of this. And actually, because of the way things are going to work, they're going to be cheaper to hire than youth ministers. Correct. But I will argue that you need a pastor mm-hmm. and then the next thing you get is either a music person or a youth person. Correct. And then it branches off from that.
1: Well, it's the argument of, so it in the 90s and things like that, you could build a beautiful church in the middle of a town and people would come. Sure. And you can't do that anymore. Um, but people are still operating in that model. They're saying, we need to update our facilities. We need to do, which is important. Don't get me wrong. As a youth minister, please update our facilities. But, But it's this attractional model of if you build it, they will come, and that doesn't work anymore. And so instead of that, provide people with a sustainable way to build not buildings but ministries. If you look back at the Bible, they didn't have buildings. They didn't have... I mean, Jesus did most of his stuff in huts or in caves or in the middle of a field. Sure. But he did viable ministry, and that's the model we have to look at. We have to look at something that is not going to crumble when a hurricane comes or something like well, that.
0: Well, look at how we're building churches. We're building these $4 million buildings, and 75% of them are are Sunday school classes that are used an hour a week. Correct. We're spending all that money on that. Correct. What would it look like if these places met in another home? Correct. What would it look like if we didn't have it on Sunday morning and cram all of our Jesus in three hours a week? Correct. Because that's when it's convenient for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And we say, we're going to worship, and then we're going to make sure that you're in a group that's accountable to each other, and you guys are going to meet in the same antiquity style way that the church did which was at somebody's home at a table and right. you create these sub churches and then we go worship together right. you know that's a much more organic way mm-hmm. that's going to be much more inviting because you're going to be more um uh able and more comfortable to invite your neighbors and people that you work with at your home or your friend's home and saying go to our church where we're gonna have 800 people worship
1: right 800 people that already know each other and that are not going to know you and sure. who are probably not going to be friendly to you because most church people are not that friendly when well, they see most of them
0: Most of them are running around rampant anyways trying to get other things Correct. done. You know, Because it's this this event that we have to do on Sunday morning. Correct. There's there's no mode of relaxation. And, and, and I would argue that the churches with all the smoke and mirrors and, 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 and lights and stuff, I mean, that's even bigger because... There's way more to do. And, and also is we is particularly youth ministry is we focus mo- mostly on the extroverted um, popu- popu- mm-hmm. um, populace. right? I mean, really we do. And what we're finding out is that's actually not a majority of people. No. So what do we do when we have a youth ministry of 120 kids and they're playing musical chairs and you have a new kid coming in and they want to get to know Jesus? and they don't know anybody, all they're doing is musical chairs, and then they get together with a small group, and they have a little pious conversation with their youth minister. Right. And and that's it. There's no organic building at all. Correct. Well, one of, And, and we, they go, go to worship.
1: Correct. And one of the things we saw, and that one of the things that I think we really responded well with at um, the church I work at in Charleston, is we decided that one thing we wanted to do is open the church, not for an, a purpose, not for a... Hey, come do this. Give us something. Give us something. And we said, um, we started this ministry called Study or Not. And it really is, if you want to come and bring your school books or not, if you want to come, just be. If you want to come, we have rooms set up where there's um, games going on and things like that. We've got quiet rooms where you can study. We've got um, rooms where if you want to lay down on a couch and close your eyes, um, you can go in the sanctuary and pray. I mean, we have this, it's not, it's not come do this, come give me this, come, do, it's just come be, come it's, be with people in, in your natural way.
0: And that's what I would call idle hands ministry, where we have all these youth ministers and ministers that are like, we got to keep them busy. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we're going to have uh, an event, you know, which don't get me started on events, but we're going to, from five to 515 we do this from five 15, we do this and this and this. And I will tell you that. I'm getting more and more kids coming on Sunday night if we're just being. Right. I mean, we we have a couple icebreakers, you know, uh, and they're not big, high-end stuff. And then we do Compline, mm-hmm. which, you know, you experienced early today, which is an evening uh, prayer service which kind of gets us kind of focused, and it creates the tone of the evening. Mm-hmm. And then we share in each other's lives. We do – it sounds cheesy that we do highs and lows. But the, in our highs and lows, it's name something good about your week, something bad, right. and then where you saw God. So it gets them in tune with that. Right. Um but it it, cre- it allows them to share their lives, you know, the good and the bad, the baggage. You know, this is the crap that's going on in my life right now. I need mm-hmm. prayer for it. That right. creates intimacy, right? That creates trust, right? The one thing, excuse me, the one thing that I've learned in the last few years, and I, I've been. Uh, it's been really awesome to experience is the style of AA meetings. I've been, I've been the privilege of being invited to some of those. And I remember the first one I ever went to and it's these people who literally go in there because they are broken Mm -hmm. and they know that and they know everybody else is and let's share the crap in our lives. Right. And what that does is it allows empathy and it creates a community of people who have been through the same thing. And it reminds you that you were not alone. Right. And when that hit me, I'm thinking, damn, this is what the church should be doing every freaking day.
1: Well, I mean, we, we look at it. We look at these these options. We say, okay, what, what? Give me your prayer concerns, and people give which are legitimate things. But you oftentimes hear things like, "Well, I've got a busy thing, busy week going on. I've got, um, I mean, fill in the blank." But rarely do we hear, "I'm getting a divorce. I'm, I am broken. I hate my neighbor." Because I think they're more successful than I am. Sure. I, which is the real, I mean, which is real and raw, which is so important. Because it's important to be praying for those busy weeks, and it's important to be in those spaces. But it's also important to just be r- realistic with things. I have a busy week, and I don't know how I'm going to get it done because I have an addiction to Netflix, or I, um, or on the flip side of that. I really love Netflix and it's something that brings me great joy. But I don't think I can get any in this week because my boss is giving me three more projects to do by the end of the mm-hmm. week. And that is.
0: And why would people want to go to church where it's more stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, especially in our in in our lenses, youth mm-hmm. ministers, high schoolers are the busiest. Flipping dynamic right now. Unreal. I mean, when they go to high school or go to college, you're like, I have so much free time because right. it's just it's amazing the amount of pressure that these kids have. So, you know, I talk to more and more families and more and more kids, and a lot of them are like, mm-hmm. I got too much crap to do, which is a systemic problem. Right. Um, you know, I mean, we could easily say, well, parents need to reprioritize. And in some ways, yes, they do. Right. Don't get me wrong you know i could have church basketball they show up every saturday morning right but you know eyc they have stuff to do i mean there are those problems too but also as our system has created so much pressure for these kids to not only get a 4.0 gpa but they need a 4.5 and they need to be on this society in the key club, they need to all be on, exactly yeah. so even if they do have the freaking time to come to a youth group they're too freaking tired right you know so what do you do with that oh let's give them more games and more running around to do they mm-hmm. don't want to do that i had um my uh we decided to start doing these uh once uh a month friday quote unquote events with our youth and they were Geared more towards the younger ones, and the older ones kind of kind of help. Right. And the first one went really really well. We did a lot of, uh, we did Manhunt, which is just mm-hmm. a fancy word for tag. Yeah, you it's know? and then we did like uh, the second one. We did American Gladiators, and we had the whole room set up and everything. Ten minutes later, the kids were like, "Can we just go sit down and watch a movie? Mm-hmm. I'm tired. It's Friday night. I mean, they had tears falling down not from not from being upset, but from being exhausted. Right. You know. And I learned a lot that that day. Mm-hmm. And we just started being. On those, right. Let's like, hey, let's get together Friday night. What do you want to do? I'm gonna order some some pizzas and some popcorn. I'm gonna put on a movie, and we'll just I'm gonna I'm gonna have a table of Legos. Yes, I buy Legos for youth ministry. You know, you know, yeah. Well, it's one of those things that they could focus on something else, you right. know, and and then put on a movie that maybe they haven't seen. I like to put on a lot of '80s teen movies, mm-hmm. you know, um, especially because those are probably the best. Like Monster the Squad, the best is yeah, Monster Squad's amazing. Yes, Ugh. yeah, exactly. Um, oh, or Sex in the City. Yeah, um, great teen movie.
1: Not another teen
0: movie, it's just 50 year old women dressed like teens. Um, but and, and they just want to flip and be, that,
1: that's and, you the know, thing and is,
0: share. Is it's like I don't need to be doing all these youth specialty games that I need to find in a book, right? You know, and, and what I've discovered in 15 years of youth ministry is that simplicity is much more effective.
1: Well, I mean, there, I think that we we try, um. In youth ministry, a lot of people try and be everything to everyone, and you end up being nothing to no one. Whereas those games and those things, they have a place. They have, they're have they wonderful at certain moments. But just being silent has a place, and prayer has a place. And we, we forget to make places for these things. We forget to actually make places. We just think we can just fit it all in. And no, it doesn't you don't fit it all in. You make time. You make a place for it. Jesus takes time and he actually steps away for prayer because even Jesus goes, I can't do all this shit. And so yeah. he goes, I'm going to step away. I have to do this. And so are we telling ourselves that we can do it? Jesus couldn't do it. I got this.
0: Yeah, I know. No,
1: it's a horrible model.
0: Absolutely. It is. But in, in, in very particular uh, subcultures, and we were, you and I are in Raleigh, we know this very well. It's, it's almost a sign of honor. Mm-hmm. Of being busy Right You know I remember one time I got it I, I didn't respond To an email fast enough And, and somebody I worked with is like Welcome to Raleigh And it's like You're proud of that right. like, like it just it, it always bugged me And, and it, You know and When we do all these High octane things We wonder why senior hires Aren't coming anymore Now a lot of it uh, Is outside stuff You know they, they get their license They have lives They do other things But I also think that And I'm learning this As we get more and more Millennials coming in Our the, what I love about our tradition, the Episcopal tradition, is we're finding we're getting much more millennials coming back now mm-hmm. because they want the genuineness of of the worship style and everything. They right. really like that identity, which which I'm really excited about. But what I'm learning about their experience as a youth is they just wanted something genuine. Right. They they were tired of I you know if if I'm gonna just hang out with some people, I can go to my house and have a party and have way more fun playing the games we want to do. Right. And and watching the movies we want to watch. Right. And and at that point, you're just becoming an entertainment director. Correct. You know, and that always bugged me too. Is when they, when parents would come up to me saying, "Hey, why don't you do this for the kids?" I'm like, "Well, your kid wants to do that. Why don't you do that with your kid and their right. friends?" I, I'm not hired, you know. So I, I know I'm kind of going all over the place here, but there is that frustration of what does that youth ministry look like? Right. And as we go into figuring out what professional youth ministry looks like, and that's it's. It's, a, it's an exciting and scary thing at the same time, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of ways it's it's going to fizzle down a lot, which right. a lot of ways maybe it does. Maybe it's way too bloated right now, and it needs right. to rebuild smarter. But if you're a part of a small church and you're like, we can't afford to use minister, what do we do? Do use ministry. Mm-hmm. Talk to your husband or wife and say, one night – Uh, you know, a month or the first and 15th or the first and third Thursday of every month, all the kids are coming to our place. We're going to make some food and we're just going to hang out. Right. You know, we'll watch a movie or a couple episodes of it's always sunny. Like we did earlier with some kids and we're just going to love on them. That is a much more genuine youth ministry than the eighties, nineties mentality of let's get together and, and, um, play games in which kids get hurt. Right. Um, uh, I was reading this book about millennialism in the church, and there's a whole chapter. I need to have you read it, and it talks about how this person had a really good youth minister because all he did was just get to know them, and they didn't play all the games in which kids ended up going to the hospital and right. and taping the youngest one to the wall, making them feel like shit the rest of the night because they're right. the smallest one. You know, stuff like that. Um, all these games you find on stupid games that you know when mm-hmm. you Google. Um, And that really resonated with them, and I think that, as you read their story about leaving the church and coming back, I think that was the seed that was implanted with them that brought them back to that. Right. You know, was doing youth ministry in a more genuine, right way. Right. You know, it's not about getting as many kids on Sunday as possible, and I say this all the time, and I talked about it with Mark a little bit last time we were here, is that I don't care about numbers, but if I do... The number I care about is how many kids are going to participate in church when they graduate high school. Not how many kids are coming on Sunday night. Because I've been in churches where a crap ton of kids come on Sunday night and I could not probably count five kids that I know in which it's going to be sustainable in the life of you know the church.
1: Correct. When people ask me about numbers and they I mean, because that is the question. And it's not because people are just trying to be idiots, but people just don't know. They don't think
0: well we live in a world where we have to have numbers. Right. Right. So, we live in a world of a Wells Fargo that's willing to do a lot of really shady stuff because they're pushing their employees so much to constantly constantly get bigger and bigger and bigger right. where you can't do that anymore
1: correct and so but in, instead of the question of how many do you have a, going on a sunday night you go how many of your kids that graduated in the last five year called you when they had a crisis yeah how many of your kids when um they when they graduated from college genuinely sat down and thanked god for that sure how many that is what you that is the numbers that is how many
0: of your youth drunk call you and tell you how much they they love you Correct. You know, when they're in college, you know. Right. How Uh, many,
1: or or, so they go to jail and they call their minister. Yeah. Because they're exactly, because they have a relationship with that person. Absolutely. And so so that is where it goes. So this is, so I asked Nick this question earlier and it really brings it to it. So as a professional minister, as a church professional, what is the most important thing that you think we can do? And I have an answer. um, I want to hear it. I want to hear your answer. I want to hear it. Go for it. Seriously. For me, The most important thing, as I've read and I've um, looked at this guy named Jesus and seen what he does, the most important thing as professional church people is not create a big building, not create these things, but invest in people first. If you invest in people where they are, not where you want them to be, not where you think they should be, but Mm -hmm. invest where they are, I think that that is where where ministry starts and where it all begins. Jesus didn't sit down on a rock and go, come get it. He went and he walked and he walked to the disciples and said, come with me. He walked to their, their place. So often do we build these churches or do we create this ministry? We create this event that, and we go, why this failed? This is on them. They should, they should have come follow me. Yeah. Instead of going, where can I meet you? Well, Where I also I think we
0: we spread our investment way too thin. You know, I tell people all the time that Jesus focused on 12 people. Mm-hmm. And even then it didn't resonate until he had to die and resurrect in and order for it to connect with them. And then you have these pastors thinking, I have to have 1,200 members of my church. Right. Follow me. And it's about right. me and how good I preach. Right. And it's like... You are watering it down because you're not building the well deeper. You're just building it a crap ton wider. Right. And what the hell does that do? That can dry up pretty damn easily. Absolutely. You know, the moment you stop. Absolutely. You know, these mega churches once, and I don't mean mega churches just evangelical. I mean mega mainline Protestant too. Yes. Is once certain particular pre- preachers leave, it just dries up. It dries up. It's it's in such a thin string because it's so mm-hmm. it's so shallow. So you know what would it look like if we just trained and focused on that particular amount of people? You know, so when people are like, why don't you have 60 kids? Well, first of all, statistically and psychologically, I can't reach 60 kids myself. I can't. I just can't Effectively, do not at all. Effectively, not at all. They say 40. I don't even know if, it, if you really want to turn them into disciples. I don't even know if it's that much. Right. I really don't. So what you do is instead of just saying, well, we're going to hire a youth minister, we only expect 20 people. No, what you do is you hire a youth minister and you expect those 20 people to minister to others. They might never even walk into the building. But as long as you if they're building disciples, that's Mm -hmm. another thing we forget too is we got to rely on the Holy Spirit that it's working. Right. We have to do that. We have to believe that we've been called in this particular thing. So when people say, What are the results? you know, and you say, I don't know. And they're like, Well, that's an excuse. I'm like, No, that's hard as shit for me to believe. Right. You know, to pour my heart and soul into something and not get any results and have to say at the end of the day, I believe that it's okay. Mm -hmm. Nobody else outside of ministry, has to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And that's a bigger struggle for us. It's not our excuse. It's a burden we have to bear. It's a cross we have to carry ourselves. And every once in a while, we'll get a hint that we actually did what God called us to do. Right? You know, being invited to a wedding. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to do that last week and see some of my old youth, and I'm like, this is God telling me that this yeah. is what I'm supposed to do. And in the Sundays where you know nobody's coming or I'm trying to get people to participate, right. that's what happens. Or a kid calls and says, my girlfriend broke up with me. Right. Or parents saying, thanks for talking to my kid about that. They really needed to talk to somebody and they chose your youth minister right. like you talked about. Those are the moments that we need to have. Now, right. I do think we need to get better at documenting them, not for the sake of sharing, but when people come up to me saying, how many kids you got in your youth group? You know, And part of me is like, do I really want to have time to have this teachable moment and really sit down and say, you know what? I, I don't know. Right. You know, or do I just say 60, I have 60 kids, you know, right. but now, see, I don't know with you, but I know, I remember when I was in the Methodist church in the Western Carolina conference, you literally had to quantify things to send to the ds's office right like how many kids are confirmed how many kids were baptized which you could do but then it was how many kids participate in youth group how many kids and i'm like i, I don't care i don't give a rat's ass if 15 kids went on my trip i care how many of those kids are continuing the life of the church in which that trip resonated with
1: well, the, them the reality of it is in the way i mean that i've shifted in youth ministry is that's an old dated model of we're going to do one thing on sunday night and that's that's your quota.
0: Well, and that's the thing too that that really gets me and you you're closer to this than I am because you just got a newer job is that it blows my mind when somebody'll say we want you to be as creative and innovative as possible, but you got to do these eight things that every other frickin' church does first. Right. And that's 90% of your energy. Right. And then they wonder, why aren't you doing new innovative things? I'm like, because you created a box of youth ministry for me. Right. And I have to fit all this stuff because that's what you think it is. I have to do this at this time, this at this time, this at this time, and then you want me to – you know, why don't we pull back a little bit and right. say – maybe youth group on Sunday nights isn't working. Maybe it's not as what it's always going to be. Not I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to get rid of it, but maybe that's not the only thing we need to be doing right now. Well, Does that make the, sense?
1: It's the Sunday school model. Sunday school is a dated model where literally the reason Sunday school was created is to these, these farmers who were pulled out of school, academic school during harvest and planning times so they wanted them to get some education so they weren't doing... It was literally medical, school it was literally on Sunday problems, morning. Yes. Math problems and things like that. And so when we do when I, we do um, Bible study devotions, when we do um, UMYF or EYC or whatever you want to call it on Sunday nights, um, when we do book studies and things like that during the week, where where does Sunday school fall in? It, sure. It, 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 the problem with Sunday school
0: is it objectifies your discipleship with Christ, meaning that if I learn this, I become this. Right. But that's the world we live in. You know, if that's I learn right. all these things, you know, in a classroom with classmates and right. a teacher and curriculum, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and I know I've, I've written curriculum and, and I get that, but, you know, it, 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 in that language of, 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 right. of school and everything like that, in itself, it's almost like a, um, it's, it's, it's eating itself it just is. by calling it that. It, it is. But but you're right. Like It's this idea of if I learn this, then I am that, and that's not it. You right. need to live into it. I remember I had a professor in, in divinity school that said – he was an orthodox priest, brilliant man, and he said theology is not something you learn. It's something you live. And the problem is we don't teach people that anymore. Mm-hmm. And the problem is because we don't teach people that for any subject anymore. Right. You, know, you learn these things so you can get a grade. I ask you all the time, what's more important, what you learn mm-hmm. or the grade you get? Well, the grade you get. Mm-hmm. You're not learning anything. No. You know, it's the same thing with Sunday school, what did you learn? And most of the time, they're not learning because you have to cram a whole bunch of shit in 40 minutes. 40 minutes when by Sunday school teachers that really don't want to be there or put the time in
1: at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning when they've been out having fun, doing whatever on a Saturday sitting night, or
0: sitting around with a whole bunch of people that they are friends with that they don't get to see all, a, a lot of the times. So it becomes a social time. Maybe that's all it needs to Maybe be. Maybe that's what it
1: needs to be. Maybe we need to create opportunities for people to live in. I had, um, we were doing that study or not. I go back to it. And we did it in the library, and the best discussion we ever had. And I can take no credit for this at all, none. I'll take it. Is we were I'll sitting there, it. and one of our, one of my girls, um, she all of a sudden looked over and saw the Gospel of Thomas sitting on the bookshelf, and asked, "What is that?" And we went into this beautiful discussion of what the Gnostic gospels were, and um, all these different things, and then the canonical gospels, and. I could not plan that. I could never have planned that. That was where she was. And that was where she was hungry and she got excited about it. And that's where we need to be looking. We need to, instead of coming up with these weekly Sunday school lessons where I'm gambling on what is going on in these kids' lives if I haven't been paying attention, instead of just listening.
0: And it's funny because all these professionals will say, "Well, you got to vet your teachers and you got to get the best of the best." No, you know what? In, in when youth ministry, when the rubber hits the road, you get who's willing to be there on Sunday that's, morning. That's,
1: when you've got two teachers and one of them's awful and one of them's not that great, yeah, you're taking both of them because you can't do it all.
0: Exactly, and that unfortunately, that's the criteria to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm willing to be there every once well, in a while.
1: Which is which is not the worst thing in the world because no, they're not. the ones who are willing to invest.
0: Absolutely, that's don't, the thing. Is some of my best Sunday school teachers are not good teachers, and I tell them every week. I go. The fact that you were there right. shows that you give a damn. Right. And just remind yourself of that. Right. So if you get into a classroom and you're and, they, and you go off on a tangent, and you don't even open the piece of paper
1: I emailed to you. I don't care. Right. Don't vet your teachers. Train your teachers. Yeah. Walk alongside your teachers. Yeah. Invest in them. Sure. Instead of culling the herd.
0: And that's assuming that we should do Sunday school. <laughs> Correct. You know, I was at a large church where it was just a massive monster mm-hmm. and 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 I always I, I really do say this, and it was a beautiful church, but you you really do get a sense of learning who you are, not just as a minister, but just who you are when you're around an environment that isn't you. Right. And and I think that's what hit me is I learned how much I'm not a huge advocate for the, the old style of Sunday school mm-hmm. um, by being in a model of old style Sunday school that's never going to change. Right. You know, now I will say that the church I'm at now, do we have Sunday morning? Yes, we do. It's not as massive. And I will tell you that 90% of my kids that go to Sunday school go to worship either before or after. Right. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Which is important. And, and the only compromise that I've given is if we're going to have it, Mm -hmm. Is it's all lectionary based We talk exactly about what is talked about In the pulpit and that does two things It continues the conversation But it also invites the people who did not Participate in worship Mm -hmm. Not that that's an excuse but the only reason Why I support what we do at our church is because The culture we have is that worship is first And so many churches Don't have that They'll have five times more kids show up for Sunday school Than they will worship and the problem with that And I really want you guys to listen to this If you're listening to it is youth ministry Sunday school, youth group, it ends. Mm-hmm. They graduate and it ends. But you know what doesn't? Worship experience. So what happens is they look for a church and they can't find anything that resonates with them because everything that a church does in the life of an adult is foreign to them. Right. So if they're not participating in discipleship and outreach and, 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 um, and they're not participating in worship, which is the heart of our identity as followers of Christ— It's not going to be sustainable. I mean, if you are a parent, listen to this. If the statistics, if your kid is participating in the life of the church on a regular basis and not going to worship, there's a 70 to 80% chance that your kid will not live a life in the church when they graduate. And that's if they're already in the church. They need to be in worship. It's the identity of who we are. And I tell people all the time, I cannot make you a two hour family, but if you're going to be here for one hour, I want you in worship. And that is a huge slice of humble pie that a youth minister has to take to say, I am a supplement of what we do in the nave or the sanctuary mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. You know, I am an addition to it, I am not a substitute of it. And a lot of youth ministers have too much of an ego to admit that. Yep. Soapbox down. Boom. Step off. <laughs> Mike dropped. So, okay, so we got way too serious, but it was good. It was a good conversation. Worked Um, out. It's what happens when you drink some beer. So we talked about pop culture, beer, and then youth ministry. It was good. I I mean, I really hope people do. We're not answering all the questions in youth ministry, but I hope you are learning where youth ministry needs to go and where where some of it has gone. Um, I ask you to challenge yourself. Um, and your church um, about what that is and how important youth ministry is and how it can look. Now, what it's going to look like in the future, we don't know. You know, as are you looking? Are you shopping for Adidas boxing
1: boots? Wrestling shoes.
0: Wrestling shoes. While we're talking, I no, thought you were like listening. pulling up like like uh, like facts or something. No, I thought you were like double checking all my facts, and you're looking at Rocky Balboa shoes. I work. I work out. You don't need wrestling boots to work. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm getting all serious and you're shopping for the ugliest freaking Adidas shoes I've ever seen. My Adidas. Oh my God. You're such a dork with that. Where's my phone? That's what I need to be playing. I need to play the song I played for you earlier. Um, but yeah, I mean, we did, we did what we called out to do. We, um, we, uh, we did our uh, pop culture. We did our beer. I'm going to have some more beer if we have any more.
1: I'm down for more beer.
0: And, um, And then we got into uh, some major stuff, so it was good. Um, Thank you. I hope my colleagues come back. What are you playing? Are you playing Run DMC? (laughs) Play some. I don't care. I was going
1: to play it out. Play us out.
0: Okay. Um, So with that, I hope my colleagues Mark and James get your butts back over here. I miss you guys. We need a little more humor. We're going to have some more guests. I got a really good priest coming who wants to talk about youth uh, um, stuff as well, including the wonderful uh, Young Life. How much we love and enjoy that. Um, I'm, I got a good friend of mine, like I mentioned last time, who's a comedian. Uh, he wants to come in. We got some really good theologians. In, and Garrison, we'll definitely have you back anytime you want. So would love to be back anytime. Um, Thank you all. If you listen to this whole thing and your name isn't Dana or, um, or Sarah or Mark, um, I, I appreciate you enduring that. So with that, cheers, and we'll see you next week. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm done. Cheers.